0: Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Along with Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. And it is great to have you with us for this week's show. We'll talk some hoops. Uh, coming up a little bit, Mike Ashley will join us. He's covered Maryland for years. He is a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. And uh, we'll talk about the coaching change that was made for the Terrapins here a few days ago. And also on this show, we're going to talk a little more about the SEC and where that conference stands. you got a bunch of ranked teams, but uh, not all of them have had Uh, complete success and you've had some teams that haven't played all that difficult the schedules and then a little later in the show an interesting note about a game coming up on Friday Chris how's it going man
1: it's going well Uh, we're right dead in the middle of of the season and and I couldn't be happier so far only a couple of games that I know of uh, were canceled due to COVID protocols so it's as close to a normal regular season as we've seen in a couple of years and I'm I'm happy for it. Uh, I've, I've missed, I've missed the, the entire atmosphere. Uh Not only of going to the games personally, but even the games I watch on TV. uh, I've just missed that. It's, it's why I love college basketball so much is it's not so much, even the games and the players and the coaches, it's sort of all that pomp and circumstance and, and the excitement and, and the fact that most of those kids are there just because they love the game of, of basketball. So, I've missed that, and it's been great to sort of immerse myself in it here the last uh, four weeks or so.
0: Yeah, it has been for me, too. Uh, I've been on the road a couple times, went to Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, and then back on Saturday, was down in Dallas at SMU. That was the first time I had been there, and Really, uh, the games I've done over the last couple of seasons, that one had one of the best atmospheres. There was a good crowd in there, and the student section was right behind us and it was cranked up, and it, and it felt like normal. So, uh, I added Moody Coliseum to my collection of gyms. So, uh, put that one on, on a list. That, that it was a, it was a neat place. They had taken an old gym and done a really good job of renovating it and making it modern. So, it was a a cool atmosphere for basketball. Well, let's talk a little about the SEC. You got six or seven teams ranked. I guess it depends on which uh, rankings you look at. And uh, they played all sorts of, of different levels of schedule. To me, the most impressive win that anybody has rounded up this season came back on Saturday when uh, ninth-ranked Alabama beat Gonzaga 91-82 to in Seattle. Uh, they hit 13 three-pointers. Shackelford and Davidson combined to hit three of those, and they combined for 48 points. I was talking to my buddy Tim Thompson before that game happened. I said, you know – This game is all about whether Alabama hits three-pointers because if they make threes, got a chance to win. If they don't make threes, Gonzaga might beat them by 20. But uh, that was a really nice win, I thought, for the Crimson Tide.
1: It was, and it came on the heels of a loss to Iona at the ESPN Events Invitational down Mm -hmm. in Florida. After that game, I think it was Darius Miles, who's a sophomore guard, uh, he knew some of his players were grousing during the game that there wasn't much passing going on. Mm -hmm. And he said, he stood up and said, all you guys griping on the bench, now's the time to speak up, say it to everybody. So they had an intense uh, kind of emotional meeting and they realized they weren't distributing. And that's what Alabama basketball is all about. They call it the spray where you penetrate Mm -hmm. spray and, and, uh, you know, you either make a layup or, or shoot a three and, and, you know, that really worked, uh, I read somewhere, I, th- I think uh, uh, my buddy Seth Davis wrote this. After Alabama lost to Iona, uh, Nick Saban texted uh, Nate Oates, the Alabama coach. This is a great line. Don't waste a failure. And, wow, they really learned from it. <laughs> and, you know, pretty much handled Gonzaga. Other than the, the Baylor loss in the finals uh, last year, pretty much handled Gonzaga as, as well as they've been handled in a while. And that's saying something.
0: Yeah, that's a Gonzaga team that, that's really good and worthy of their ranking. And I think their only previous loss was against Duke a, a couple weeks ago. So that was a really good one for Alabama. Uh, Kentucky is ranked number 10. They're 7-1. Their loss was to Duke in their opener. They played a really weak schedule, though. They uh, won against Southern 76-64 on Tuesday. Maybe it toughens up a little bit with this stretch coming up. They'll play Notre Dame, Ohio State, Louisville, and then uh, the SEC opener against Missouri coming up later on in December. But it's kind of hard to know what uh, you have with Kentucky. You have some really talented transfers, Shibway, and, and well, you got Severe Wheeler who played at Georgia and, and, and some other guys who've been added to that group. They look like, to me, they're improved from last season, but I guess just how much they're improved from last season is the question.
1: Hard to say right now, Kevin. Uh, you know, Coach Cal, uh, by choice, doesn't like to play in – in those neutral site holiday tournaments because Kentucky sells out every home game. So they like that revenue uh, for the three home games they could get instead of going to Maui or whatever. But so far they've played five teams that are 300 or below in, in our buddy Ken Palm's rankings. So it's really kind of tough to judge what we're looking at. I think we'll know a little bit more uh when they play ohio state that's at a neutral side in las vegas and they'll host louisville on december 22nd so we'll we'll get a little more of a of a feel for what kentucky's all about by then but right now schedules nothing to really r- rave about
0: arkansas is ranked number 12 they're 9 and 0 they haven't played a tough schedule either their best wins are over kansas state and cincinnati in the hall of fame classic Auburn ranked number 18. They're 7-1. and one. They're going to get uh, Flanagan back soon. Their only loss was that double overtime game against UConn and Atlantis, and then uh, they beat Loyola, Chicago, and Syracuse. Florida 6-2, and two, one of the more puzzling losses of the season. That was against Texas Southern on Monday, 69-54. Texas Southern was a gigantic underdog. Uh, Florida has Maryland coming up on Sunday. LSU's been pretty impressive. Uh, they beat I mean, again, another team that hasn't exactly uh, played a murderous row schedule. But eight to No, they beat Penn State in overtime of the Emerald Coast Classic around Thanksgiving. and That was after they beat Belmont by 30 points, and uh, LSU will play Georgia Tech next. Tennessee, I know you've seen uh, the Volunteers play a couple times, Chris. They're, they're ranked number 13. They lost at Madison Square Garden at Texas Tech, 57-52. That was an ugly game on Tuesday. I think it was 44 apiece going to overtime. The Vols shot 31% four out of 24 from three and that was after a pretty good win at Colorado they lost big against Villanova then they blew out North Carolina what do you think about the volunteers
1: actually they were four of 40 from three goodness uh which is incredible um you know I saw a couple of pundits say you know negative things about it but I, I believe that Nick Saban says don't waste a failure." and I thought there were some positive things in that Texas tech game. They played really good defense to keep themselves in it. And if you think about it, a couple of crazy things happened. Uh, Josiah Jordan James had a wide open breakaway. It would have been a dunk and he just collapsed at the rim. I don't know what happened. Uh, Somebody texted me and said, maybe the mop guy missed a spot. Mm. And they were also eight of 16 uh, from the free throw line. If they make one more free throw, if they just have a, badge free throw shooting day, they would sneak out in regulation yeah. because James had, had would have put him in front with a three had they. So, you know, it looked bad. It, it wasn't pretty, but uh, I think you learn more from your mistakes and you know what they say uh, every year you're going to play some games better than you're supposed to some games about the way you're supposed to, and then some well below your level. And I think Rick Barnes would tell you that it's good to get that stinker out of the way.
0: Yeah, I should correct myself. Texas Tech was four of 24 from three. Tennessee was, was six out of 40 from behind the arc on the yeah, night. Yeah,
1: it was, it was crazy. We um, shot uh, 26% overall. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Florida, too. Uh, they Texas Southern was a 23-and-a-half-point dog. Uh, but they're coached by Johnny Jones, ex of LSU, so he kind of knew his way around the league. Right. Texas Southern was the first Southwestern Athletic Conference team to beat a ranked SEC team since the AP Poll era <laughs> began.
0: That goes back to nineteen thirty six. Goodness.
1: So, uh, don't think we'll see the Gators as part of those seven ranked. SEC teams in the AP poll next week.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. Uh, on down the line, Texas A and M seven and one beat Butler and Notre Dame in the quote unquote Mally Invitational played in Las Vegas. Lost to Wisconsin by eleven. They'll play TCU on Saturday. Also play Oregon State before SEC play. Ole Miss. Uh, I, I watched the Ole Miss Memphis game the other day. Uh, the Rebels at 6-2. and two, They beat Memphis 67-63. Also have lost to Boise State and Marquette. Uh, Ole Miss will play Western Kentucky on Saturday. Mississippi State 6-2. and two, Lost to Minnesota 81-76. They'll play Colorado State this weekend. Carolina 6-2, and two, Vandy 5-3, and three, Missouri 4-2, and two, and Georgia at 4-5. and five, Another of those teams that has beaten Memphis. So it, it's a good league. It's a deep league. It's an interesting league. But uh, still, I think there's a lot of figuring out to do when you look at this collection of teams.
1: Yeah, I think so too. You know, South Carolina is six and two, but they lost by twenty four points at Coastal Carolina. Uh, I I keep an eye on the Mississippi schools. Mm -hmm. Both are six and two. Ole Miss lost early, a couple of tough games in the Charleston Classic, but beat Memphis. And Mississippi State is six and two. They're probably one of their best players, Tolu Smith, has battled a stress fracture. He's a big man who can shoot threes. And they finally got Rocket Watts back healthy, the Michigan State transfer. He scored 15 points a couple of games ago. They kind of had a puzzling loss to Minnesota at home, but they're 6-2 and two also. And I, I think both those Mississippi schools could be heard from before it's all said and done.
0: Chris, our guest this week is Mike Ashley. He covers Maryland, has for years a Blue Ribbon contributing editor. Mike, what's going on?
2: I'm on vacation this week. Uh uh, me and mark turgeon so uh yeah it's uh it's going okay
0: <laughs> did, did you have enough as much money to take on your vacation as mark probably did to go on his
2: <laughs> no i i i my dream is to have someone give me five million dollars not to work I, I i know that's not mark turgeon's dream but uh uh and i really like Turge, so i i don't i don't like making fun of him I, he he really uh he really was great to work with and i know you guys can appreciate that uh and uh, and he's a good basketball coach and he Really deserved a better fate than he got at Maryland. It was a, uh, it, it's been a tough week for a lot of us, uh, you know, saying goodbye to him.
1: I gotta say one thing about Mike. Uh, he, Mike, we were talking the other day. I think we figured you were had written for Blue Ribbon for almost a quarter century, and I, I can't tell you how, how comforting it is to have Mike on our staff. Uh, he covers the Big South because he worked in it and loved it. He knows the ACC and Big Ten. And you know you're always going to get his copy, sometimes in bunches. (laughs) And it's such a relief to get it because it's so easy to edit and fun to read. And he talks to the coaches, and they all love him. So, man, I just wanted to point that out.
2: (laughs) Save all my timeouts, Chris, uh, so I can finish. (laughs) Because I do some NBA work, too, and it usually bumps, although the crazy pandemic schedule. But, yes, hey, Blue blue Ribbon – I loved it when I was an SID at Rapper. I loved talking to the blue ribbon guy. Cause he was the most extensive, wanted to know the most. It was my one chance to shine as an SID and say, Hey, this is, this is the guy that might be really good that Nobody's talking about and that kind of stuff. And, and because of that, I, I, I'm the SID whisperer. These guys know me and trust me. And, uh, it's just been so much fun, uh, as Chris has really helped me, too, with building relationships with a lot of these coaches. I got guys telling me stuff that I can never print, but that gives me a, such <laughs> me a too. great overview of, of what's going on. And Blue Ribbon is just it's one of the best things on my resume as a freelance writer. It opened so many doors for me because college basketball people know it is the Bible, and I really appreciate working with you guys it's been so much fun building relationships uh in those programs or in my case and often continuing relationships and then to get to cover uh, grandfathered in on teams i grew up with like virginia and virginia tech and uh and of course maryland uh i've been thinking a lot about uh all this maryland work i've done this week obviously i was uh thinking the the best interview i ever had with gary williams who Sports writers know that that could go a lot of different ways. Gary was great. He understood our job and everything, but I made the classic mistake of coming in for my one-on-one sit down in his office one summer late in his career at Maryland where he was taking a lot of heat for, uh, they hadn't recruited well, particularly locally, which knock, knock, that's an issue right now too, yeah. uh, with the Terrapins. Uh, but, uh, I walk into Gary and I noticed, uh, he had such a great tan. I just assumed he'd been playing golf. And I said something about his great tan and uh, how his golf game was. And Gary, boy, he took that as me, one of the guys saying he wasn't in the gyms, working hmm. his tail off, cussed me up one side and down the other for about three wow. minutes. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Finally, I, I explained, Gary, that's not me. That's I'm not that guy. And uh and I had my best interview ever with him that, that time <laughs> after, after we had that meeting of the minds on that issue. So I read something. I think it was in Seth Davis's
1: column where he said that uh, the, the 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 thing that pushed Turgeon over the edge, and it was a mutual decision, was yes. kind of the, the, the grousing of the fans as he left the floor for his final game. What do you know about that? And, and do you was was the fan pressure? really ramping up that much?
2: You know, I'm going to compare it more to uh, the Jimmy Carter presidency. There was a malaise. Uh, (laughs) uh, Fans were kind of disillusioned. They thought the program had a certain ceiling. They weren't going to get past anymore. Maybe first uh, week of the NCAA. And that was just the feeling. And the shame of it is that two years ago, Mark had such a good team, the one that shared the Big Ten regular season title and the, and the postseason was wiped out. That was a team that was kind of the blueprint for a team that does well in the tournament. They were so strong in the backcourt, veteran guard play, Jalen Smith up front, so they had some low post, and that team didn't get a chance to to, to go to the tournament. And to be honest, uh, if that team goes to the tournament doesn't do, doesn't do well, then we have a really clear cut picture of maybe maryland does need to make a change but to me there's kind of a real gray area now did mark ever have the team that could have done well and they just didn't get the chance uh you're right though the fan and, and maryland fans are tough uh god love them they, they they're tough on opponents and they're awful tough on their own people too and uh i again people forget you know what i think it was 2001 the uh the first year gary got to the final four mid-season that year i Late January into February, I think the Terrapins were having a three game losing streak in the ACC and they were booed off the floor and a loss to Florida State. And Gary. I remember I, that. Yeah, well, I remember I was in the arena and Gary got on the PA and said, Yeah, things have been pretty bad around here the last seven years, had it? Because Gary, and that's why they love Gary. Gary was one <laughs> of them and he yeah. fought tooth and nail for Maryland. He always called the Terrapins the uh, northern outpost of the ACC back when that made sense. Now, now it's kind of silly, but uh, back yeah. then, you know, all those kids at, at Duke and Carolina and Wake and NC State, you know, half their games, they get to sleep in their own beds at night. They don't travel near and far. The the majority right. of writers are, are based in that area. So all the honors would go to the, the Carolina kid. I'm not saying that's always wrong, but I'm just saying Maryland was an outlier and it was tough. And that's why the big 10 uh, seemed so attractive at the time, a fresh start away from all that. Plus, extra a year in TV revenue. So people forget that. Now, you've got to remember where I'm from. I'm from down around Roanoke, Virginia in the south, and people have not forgiven Maryland for leaving the ACC down there.
0: Yeah, Mike, that kind of leads into my next question for you because yeah, money talks, as we all know, in these conference moves. But for me, I think Maryland should be playing Carolina and Duke and those teams you talked about. Do you think there's a pretty significant portion of the fan base that feels that way and will never really accept being in the Big Ten?
2: yes I do especially the old guard now we all know how that is at the bigger schools there's always the older fans that want things like they they remember like they were and and there's some point to that now when the big Ten came about in 2014 for Maryland on, on and you know and really we're talking football and basketball here uh, there was a newness to it a freshness and, and I, I even got caught up in that uh, but now you know they're, they're not they're not selling out games with uh, you know Iowa and uh, you know i I, I Purdue comes to mind, but that one will probably sell out if Maryland's got any any, uh, reputable chance at that point. It's just, there there was a, those, those schools travel well. The big 10 is a different animal. I didn't really understand the, the schools in in those States represent such a large part percent of their population. And there's really nothing else. I mean, that I can see in most of those cities where maybe Northwestern has a little bit of an identity problem fighting off some of the other things in their region, but these schools are it and they're, the Winnebago's roll in on Thursday and Friday for the football games from all over the license plates. You can check them out. And the thing that impressed me, fellas, was the media that traveled with them. It was a whole new world as far as the media. And Maryland was just starting to see a bump in recruiting in that. And then, of course, you know, their notorious problems in football over the last several years. And then uh, Turgeon had to recruit from uh, James Graham from Milwaukee this year, who's left the program now and is, is transferring Again, I don't know exactly what all that happened, but it makes me wonder if there were some things there uh, also that contributed to Mark's decision. And it's just so hard. Turge was such a basketball lifer. It's so hard for me to imagine that he just stepped away like this. Uh, um, And and I think he was trying to do what was best for everybody in this situation. And again, to me, that just makes me admire him a little bit more uh, as far as his career.
1: Who makes sense as his replacement? I know I I read some quotes attributed to Gary Williams, and he thinks that Maryland should be a lead. And I think we all agree that they've got the potential to be a lead. But like you said, there's some inherent problems in terms of recruiting and uh, fans traveling on the road. And uh, those Big Ten schools, I mean, they're basketball-centric. And I don't think you can say that necessarily about Maryland. Um,
2: well, it used to be. It used to yeah. be. I, I used you know, to. One know. lefty was there. And, well, uh, well, 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 even 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 when Gary got things rolling. I mean, I, I, when I got on the beat again, and that's about 22 years ago, uh, uh, it was kind of a running joke in the football press box. Okay, when's basketball start? Because yeah, uh, yeah. football was usually going nowhere, and uh, and and everybody was already jazzed up for basketball, and of course, you had. Carolina and Duke always coming in, and it was uh, the ACC at its peak in, in some of those years. Uh, and they did a better job at, I don't know, Gary's last few years, he did not recruit very well. People seem to forget that. his la- I, What was the stat I, I'd read on that? And, and I should remember this stuff, but I'm, getting an old, I'm becoming an old man, mm-hmm. so you'll have to excuse me here. I think in his last uh, uh, six or seven years, they only had three NCAA tournament appearances, and people kind of gloss over that. And those teams really didn't have, uh, a lot of outstanding players. It was all really on Gary scheming and coming up with a way to win. And, uh, the criticism was there, as I mentioned in my earlier story about the recruiting, especially local. So they need to get somebody who can, uh, who can, who can get the best players in a DMV like Mike Loxley starting to do in football. They need yeah. somebody that can, that can, can land those players, keep, keep the locals more interested. And, uh, well, I never think Maryland's gonna travel well within uh the Big Ten. I do think they can have a strong presence. I you know, I've been here when I've seen it I've seen it work, I've seen it take big crowds to Florida State and Miami back in the day, things like that. So it can happen. Uh you know, if you want a list of candidates, I, I'm just the ones everybody's talking about. You know, Sean Miller was uh was a front runner the last time this job was open. Obviously that's a little more iffy now. I don't know. If, uh, you know, he's the top guy. The name I keep seeing is Kevin Willard at uh, hmm. at Seton Hall. A lot of people really yeah. like him. Um, uh, there's a dream, dreamland of Nate Oates and the way he plays, you know, up-tempo. Yeah. And people would love Not to Not going to happen, but yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> As I said the dream. Uh, then I think you got a tier of, uh, you know, Mark Schmidt, maybe it, uh, from St. Bonaventure might be a candidate. Uh, yeah. But, uh, what's jo- John Bayline doing now, but I, I don't know that that's the right way to go. Uh, yeah. I've heard his name. Uh, Kim English came in and put his resume on the floor when George Mason beat uh, Maryland, which kind of started yeah. uh, all this discussion in some way too. So there's another guy that uh, uh, you know, and he's a Baltimore native. They talk about local recruiting, so uh, some guys like that I think are going to be in the mix. And but I, I, I'm almost hoping there's another candidate we're not hearing about now that's going to check more of the boxes. You know, maybe younger uh has some local ties uh no it's it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting process it's gonna be fun to watch
0: mike as we uh, finish up with you uh len bias was enshrined in the college basketball hall of fame a couple weeks ago a guy's just a terp legend going back to the 80s how important is it to remember what he did on the court when you also consider the the tragic death after the nba draft back in 1986
2: yeah that was uh they had a night for him uh the other night because he went into the college basketball hall of fame and his parents were there uh for the virginia tech of the the acc challenge game and uh uh i ended up writing a column about lynn that night uh for for baltimore uh press box pressbox online.com uh and uh i gotta admit i was working harder on it and i wasn't paying as much attention to the game with virginia tech just had my head up every now and then to see that virginia tech was getting a lot of easy baskets and maryland was not which again part of our story that we led with here about Mark Turpin, but uh, you know, I, I, for us basketball people, Lynn Bias of our age, Lynn Bias is very personal. I mean, that's, that's, that's my JFK. I remember exactly where I was when I heard about Lynn Bias. I was on, I was, I was working at Virginia tech, but I was on, uh, I was headed to Myrtle beach on vacation with three of my buds. We're all in a car and it came across the radio and, the one guy in the back who was asleep was my friend the big Celtics fan and we're like wow. what do we do do we wake him up and tell him do we and I was a, I'm a Lakers guy so uh it was he didn't believe me when I first told him and then and then he could see the wow. expression on my face that no this is real this just happened yeah. Yeah. so back then I guess the early days of sports everywhere on tv and radio we pulled into the first sports bar we could find just to get espn on and see what the heck was going on and i I mean i'll be honest i still don't know what was going on in a lot of ways at radford later on i worked with oliver Purnell, who was involved in that and i just if it ever came up i couldn't bring myself to ask oliver the tough questions because uh that was so personal then i got on the maryland beat and you guys i'm telling you that still hangs over this place. Sure. It still hangs yeah. over this place. The, the way yeah. they, they they dealt with the media and their fans, that there was a mistrust here for a long time. That we're just now starting to see this the sunshine. And I that night, I the way his parents were so great, particularly his mother, who's been such an outspoken person about all this and uh, and about things that can happen, and trying to help young athletes go in other directions. And uh, uh, I, I finally got a little bit of closure with this. Now I can instead of wondering. Would, would Lynn Bias and Michael Jordan have taken the NBA into the 90s the way Bird and Magic did? Would, the, would they have held off the bad boy Pistons for a while? All that stuff that a basketball guy thinks. I'm now just able to say, man, was he fun to watch. Oh, my gosh. I still got the highlights of that Carolina game, the first loss in the Dean Dome for uh, the Tar Heels and the, and the things Bias did that day. He was just an incredible uh, – uh, I think Mike Wilbon called him transcendent player, and that's really yeah. true. It's a shame – Uh, more people don't know about how good he was or have watched highlights of him.
0: Mike Ashley, terrific. Great to have you with us. Uh, Blue Ribbon contributing editor, covered Maryland for many years, has great perspective on everything going on with the Terrapins. Really appreciate the time this morning.
2: Fellas, I really appreciate it. Thanks for lobbing me a bunch of softballs. I'll be better next time. I'm watching more basketball. We can get into, uh, uh, you know, how we're going to fix UVA and things like that.
1: (laughs) Uh, You were great, man.
0: That was Mike Ashley, a terrific basketball writer. Boy, he wears a lot of hats uh, in, in terms of covering all sorts of different teams and leagues and just great perspective on everything going on at Maryland. Chris, as we wrap up the show here, an interesting note about a game coming up on Friday uh, here in Nashville. Vanderbilt's going to host Loyola Chicago. And uh, if you go back to 1963, and I know you know the history behind this, uh, they were the first NCAA yes. championship team to feature four black starters and two of the stars in that 63 championship team, which beat Cincinnati in that classic game. Vic Rouse and Les Hunter, uh, they went to Pearl High School right here in Nashville, and that's the same place as Perry Wallace, who played at Vanderbilt, was the first black player in the SEC. But Rouse hit the game-winning shot in overtime against Cincinnati in that championship game on a putback on a shot by Hunter. And then Rouse went on to earn three masters and a Ph.D. Hunter went on to play in the NBA and the ABA, They're going to have a pregame presentation at Memorial Gym Friday. They're going to donate jerseys from both schools to the uh, Pearl High Museum at MLK Magnet School here in Nashville. But I I thought that was really neat to learn the history and the tie-in between that great Loyola team back in 63 and and the city of Nashville and Pearl High School.
1: That's great, and it's great for Vanderbilt, which I think is is progressive-minded, especially with Perry Wallace uh, having been such a great ambassador for the school and the program. But – it, it reminded me of, of something that I, I, we talked about earlier this year on the podcast. I teach a sports running class at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And one of my students, his grandfather was Joe Dan Gold, who played at Mississippi State. And if, uh, history fans will recall they had to sneak out of the state of Mississippi and meet in Nashville to play in the NCAA tournament because they were going to play against Loyola which had black players and there was this legendary photograph of joe dan gold shaking hands with jerry harkness and what was so crazy the day my student told me about that august 24th 2021 jerry harkness passed and it was so wild when i got home my student was texting me and saying did you hear jerry passed and i i just couldn't believe it but uh he too was a was a leader and active in civil rights issues and successful in his career. Uh, One of the first uh, African-American sportscasters in Indianapolis history. So uh, that whole team went on to great things. And it only goes to show you that uh, uh, that that team was special, not just for what it was on the court or being pioneers, but those were good people and smart people and successful people. And it's cool to see Vanderbilt on the night when Loyola comes in there. I wonder, by the way, you think Sister Jean will make the trip?
0: <laughs> we were talking about that, and, and Jerry Stackhouse said, you know, they usually win when Sister Jean makes the trip, so if you know, maybe she wants to just stay behind and get some rest, that that would be okay. Uh, he, he was joking about that the other day when somebody asked him about it on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, you talk about Jerry Harkness. I think he actually made the shot or made the pass to uh, – to Les Hunter that resulted in him taking that shot and then later resulted in the uh, the score by Rouse that won the game against Cincinnati, which at that point was the two-time national champion. They won back-to-back, yeah. and they were going for the three-peat there in 1963. So I-, I thought that was some interesting history. And, you know, it was cool when they went to the Final Four a few years ago to see that unearthed again and people learn the history of that program and just what it was about. And I know they're going to make the uh, the move to the A-10 uh, after this season, but that will be coming up on Friday here in Nashville. Chris, always a lot of fun to do the podcast. We'll do it again next week, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to it already. All right. He's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.